right. Welcome to this week's episode of On Air with Sean McStay. This week, I am very excited to have with me Alex Verdecchia. Alex is a principal at McDermott and Bull Executive Search. Uh, he's over 20 years of experience in research and recruiting uh, with a focus on senior level positions. So, Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Alex, you and I have spoken a bit in the past, but uh, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, how would you introduce yourself? I would introduce myself by saying uh, I'm Alex Verdecchia, principal with McDermott & Bull, as you've pointed out. Uh, McDermott & Bull is a retained executive search firm here in Vancouver. We've got offices through uh, North America and in Europe as well. We're opening up an office in Toronto, aiming for the spring of next year. What we specialize in is in um, helping companies find solutions for their senior executive hires. So we get retained by companies to find CFOs, COOs, vice presidents, uh, CEOs, and the like. And that's kind of what we focus on. The firm itself is a generalist firm. I tend to focus on uh, public sector work predominantly, but um, I'm a bit of a generalist myself. Fantastic. Well, we're going to dive into all of that, but I like to start these interviews off by kind of going back in time a little bit. When you were growing up, what was the career aspiration for you? Did you have one? Like, how did that, uh, what were you thinking back then? I, uh, I I had a fondness for music and a knack for it relatively early on. And my whole teen, all my teen years, I was, I was going to be a musician. I was going to be a musician. And uh, when I became a musician, I realized that saying that you're going into music is like saying you're going into medicine. Right. It's, it's a huge category. Like, what, what do you mean? Are you, are you going to be a teacher? Are you going to be a performer, a session player, a, a tourist, uh, a touring player? Um, and after working for a number of years in professional, uh, professional music circles, I found my way into sound editing, uh, which, of course, is a natural lead into executive search. Um, I didn't know what executive search was until I got hired on by a small firm uh, some 18 years ago. Uh, had no clue what I was getting into. was pretty convinced that I would hate it. Um, I thought I'll, I'll take it, and you know, three months later, I'm sure I'll be gone because this is a corporate gig, and I'm not a corporate guy. Whatever. Three years to the day uh, of uh, on my three year anniversary, I remember waking up and going, I couldn't wait to get to work. I uh, it had found me, and I loved every aspect of it. So that's really exciting. And you kind of you started on the research side of things, didn't you? I started, um, yeah, as most people do when you're sort of new to the business, you started doing the, you know, the research uh, effectively. You're, you're told by your boss, okay, we need to find a CFO, for example, uh, in construction. Okay, so who are the other CFOs in construction? Who are the people that report to the CFO? Uh, what's sort of the next tier down in the administrative structure where this might be a step up for this person? Um, you know, what, what geographic area we're looking at? Um, all the research is related to finding candidates themselves. And then that grew over time to be a bit broader in terms of, you know, uh, preparing statistics and getting uh, getting materials together for uh, for pitches for um, uh, for for the partners so that they could go in armed with all the statistics and all the information they might need in order to make the case as to why why companies should hire us. That's where I got started, certainly. Okay. And so you're, you're into this career now, three years, like you said, you wake up and you're excited to go to work. Why are you excited to go to work? What was it that really hooked you? It, well, it was it was a couple of things. Um, my my biggest fear, I think, about you know the corporate world up until then, and I put that in air quotes, um, is that I sort of had this in mind, this this idea in mind, um, you know, this this naive idea in mind that it was just the same thing every time. That it would just be I would wake up in the morning, do the same thing the next day, and that wasn't the case. Uh, the work I do is project based, so we'll be retained to do you know a CFO search, for example, and that project 
has a certain lifespan. And then when you're done, you leave it alone and you go on to the next one. And you might make the argument that every CFO search is the same, but it isn't because every company that you work for is different. And even if it's different companies within the same, the same uh, space, the same, um, the same, yeah, the same space, Every company has a slightly different flavor. So what you're looking for changes from person to person. Or if you go back and you refill the role five years later or 10 years later for the same company, things have changed. It's never the same role twice. So that was the one thing that I found uh, really compelling was that it was always interesting work. The projects were always, uh, always new projects, always changing. And I think the other thing that I loved about it was, uh, especially in the, in the fields that I practice in predominantly, I get to talk to some really smart people on a daily basis and there isn't there isn't a single day where i don't learn something and it might be something something really minuscule or it might be something quite quite substantive um one of the first one of my first learnings if you will was i think on the first academic uh, CV that I took a look at. This person was a paleolimnologist. And I thought, okay, what, what, what's a paleolimnologist? So I looked it up and paleo, paleolimnology is the study of, of ancient freshwater bodies, right? So, okay, not necessarily the kind of thing you can pepper into every conversation, right? But still kind of interesting, right? The, the work I was doing was opening up these avenues of, of knowledge I had no idea about. And it's, it's really humbled me. I mean, you can fill books with what I don't know, and they have. <laughs> they filled many books with what I don't know. Um, you know, and, and even recently, I've stumbled across uh, sort of a reality in 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 medical uh, medical research that I kind of knew existed, but I didn't appreciate the breadth of the conversation. And had an amazing conversation with a researcher uh, for thirty minutes this afternoon, just sort of exploring, you know, the, the confines of that. I think those two things predominantly are what really, really excite me about what I do, and and the fact that the people I work with, the people that I place, or the people that I'm um, recruiting for, they don't land in their roles by accident, right? If you want to be the head of a university or the head of a college or the CEO of a mining company or a construction company, it's not, those aren't the kind of jobs most people fall into. These are the kinds of roles that people make it a point of trying to get at and try, they do the appropriate training, they go through the appropriate steps to, to gain the experience to land in those roles. So for the most part, I'm dealing with people that are very dedicated to what they do. Uh, and that, that goes a long way. Definitely. Yeah. It's always nice to work with people that are passionate and intellectually curious. It's a, uh, you know, you get a lot of energy just from being around people mm -hmm. like that. When you're recruiting for these roles, you talked a bit about the research that you do and how you look into it. How do you start that process? So you, you get a role, you're maybe looking into a company. How deep do you go and how do you kind of start that process? Uh, how do how deep do I go in in the research component? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, as as deep as the time will afford. If uh, I, I, now that I'm leading my own book of business, I go as deep as I can. I I dig up uh, annual reports, strategic plans. I talk to as many people as I can within the company to get a perspective on what's going on, what's important to uh, not just the people that I'm sort of my direct clients, but the other people in the office as well. What's important to the CEO may not be uh, important to the manager of human resources, but the manager of human resources has to work with this person every day. So I want their perspective. I want to know what they're after. I want to know what their pain points are. Um, so there's a lot of sort of front-end work that's done uh, in that respect, right? Learning the, the, the broad strokes of the organization, where they're intending to go, uh, not just in the, not just, um, um, you know, in the next year, but where do they plan on being in the next three to five years? Um, the one thing I always uh, tell my clients is that uh, I, I can bring you someone who's going to answer your problems today, but is this going to be the person you need 
next year or in the next two or three years. Because if you're only looking for someone to solve your immediate problems, then I'm not the answer for you. I, you know, we can find someone to do it on an interim basis to solve, you know, solve problem X. What I want to do is I want to find that leader that can do all that, but also lead you forward, lead these companies forward and be useful to them in three, five, eight years time. Um, that's, I think, where the important value, that's, I think, a lot of the value that I bring as, as a practitioner to, to the work that I do. But the research starts with, you know, the broadest strokes. What's the company all about? What's their mission? Who do they serve? What's their market? Where are they located? What, what's, uh, um, you know, what geographic areas do they serve? And then into the role itself. If it's a if it's a you know a vice president of human resources role, okay, so this oversees absolutely everything. Is it one site, multi site? Is it international? Uh, where does this person fit in terms of? Is it a CHRO, or a chief human resources officer role? Is it a VP role? Is it a director role? Where does it fit in the food chain? Um, and then looking at the comparative strengths of the the team, right? If, uh, if we have a, a vice president of human resources that has the international human resources perspective down pat, but might be a little bit weaker on the the, the labor relations side, I'm just picking an arbitrary topic, you know, which frankly would be rare. You don't get to be the head of human resources if you don't look for relations. But looking at the relative strengths, like what do you, where is the strength in the team already and what is this person supposed to be complementing to the team, right? Um, I'll take a look at that. And then I bring that back to the team here, of course, and we start talking about, okay, where are these people? Where do we find them? Um, what's the, what's the, uh, the value proposition of the company we're proposing to take these people to? That's uh, it's pretty expensive. It's a huge part of what we do. That All that stuff up front has to be in place. Otherwise, we're not going to find the right person. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, obviously, we, you know, we all know, probably the listeners know, the, the extreme expense of hiring the wrong person is, is often far, far exceeds any expense you put into the hiring process. When you have that, uh, you know, the, the, the few candidates that you've narrowed it down to, you found some people and you're talking to them, how do you approach that conversation? Because obviously they're going into that conversation putting their absolute best foot forward and trying to put everything in a good light and, you know, all the things you do in, in kind of an interview. How do you kind of tease out of them who they are and whether you think they would be a good fit? Uh, there's more than one screening process. Before they get to me, they'll have been vetted by uh, a senior consultant here who will sort of, uh, in the broadest strokes, can they do the job, right? Um, and we start assessing issues of fit almost immediately. And sometimes it comes out in ways that a lot of people don't don't even realize. Um, uh, when I was working for a, a company previously, we were doing a, a CEO search uh, and, um, you know, we were getting to the end and we had this person that seemed to be the perfect person. And the partner on the search at the time turned around and just out of the blue asked his assistant, you know, what do you think of this person? And she got really quiet and she said, you know, he's, he's really sweet when he's around everyone here, but when he's, when he's with me on the phone, he's he puts me down. He's derogatory. He's he puts me off. He's insulting. Um, I wouldn't want to work with him. And that was it. We ended his candidacy right then and there, right? Because that's not the kind of person that would fit into this kind of environment. Nobody wants a boss like that. Nobody wants to hire someone like that. Rather, no, we didn't. We didn't nix the guy's candidacy. We took that back to the client and said, "Look, this is. He seems to be all well and fine here. He doesn't seem to be that well here. Um, some some digging into uh, to his past work relationships revealed that that was pretty much the case. So we took that to the client, and the client said." No, we're not gonna. You know, we don't want to proceed with.
with this person. So um, when people approach me, they, they may not realize it, but we're assessing them almost from the, from the get-go, right? Um, do you return phone calls in a timely manner? Do you give us the information we need when we need it? Are you on time for your interview? Uh, do you present well at the interview? Do you present as a professional? Um, do I have to remind you of, of certain elements? Um, when you're telling me about the work that you've done, how specific are you in the information that you're giving me? Uh, there's nothing worse than being in an interview with somebody who goes, oh, yeah, I think it was a project we did two years, five years ago. No, 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 sorry. It was eight years ago. And, and, and the project was worth uh, 300, 500, 800. No, 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 sorry. It was like $400,000. I'm left with the question of, okay, were you there or not, right? Like, at the end of the day, people who present in a really professional fashion know what they're talking about um, and uh, and can be concise, uh, go a long way with, you know, it as far as determining their suitability for a client, right? Um, and sometimes the, the interesting thing from a, from a recruiting perspective is there have been people that I don't especially enjoy speaking with or that I don't necessarily find a really good rapport for, rapport with, that are perfect for the role. It's not about whether I like them, it's whether or not my client likes them. And if the client and the candidate get along well, then great. My, my job is done. Um, you know, I've often said, um, you know, I, I mean, I like my dentist. I wouldn't hire him to come in and do my plumbing. That doesn't mean he's not a good person. It doesn't mean he's not good for something else, right? But um, all of that to say that I've lost track of the initial question. Sean, if you can throw that to me again. <laughs> Well, you actually answered it perfectly. It was simply just talking about, you know, what is the process when you run into a candidate and, and how do you kind of vet that, which you've, you've answered through. Uh, my follow-up question to that is when you are talking, you obviously work with relatively senior positions right now. Um, and so the typical interview faux pas are hopefully at least um, relatively rare. What are one or two common things that they do fall down on, even in senior level position interviews? The uh, the biggest one is what I call the humble brag, right? Whether uh, and everybody knows what that term is. You know, what's your big, biggest weakness? Oh, I work too hard. Okay, that's you know, uh, don't don't give me that. That's a that's a really sort of rank amateur answer to a pretty common question. Uh, any executive worth their salt should know what they're working on, and they should be uh, you know they should be willing to admit it, and even framing it in that way. Well, you know, I'm I'm working on being better organized. I've got people that that do that well for me, but I'd really like to take some of the stress off them and, and be more mindful of my own calendar. Great. That's legitimate. That's completely honest, right? Um, that's, that's one thing that uh, where people really sort of uh, – it's more common than you think, people sort of falling in that, that one area. Um, and the other thing I think that sometimes doesn't work for some executives is um, – you know, and I don't want to suggest that this is by far, by any stretch, uh, common. But um, there are people that think that because of what they've done, they're the only option for this role. Like, of course, I'm going to get it. So they don't really put as much effort into interview preparation as they might, or they might think that all they have to do is show up, just charm everybody and be done with it. Um, that's not true. My job is to make sure that my client has difficult decisions. And if I'm only putting one person in front of my client, well, first of all, I never would. Right? My client's always going to have options. It is no one person's um, uh, uh, role to win. It is a competition, and they have to prove that they're the best person going. Um, I think sort of sometimes people just sort of thinking that, well, because I have this much experience and I'm this person and I'm known in these circles, that's enough. Mm -mm, it isn't. Uh, those are probably two of the biggest things that I see most often. 
Okay. Flipping that question around, what are some of the uh, one or two of the points that employers who are hiring, uh, you see them fall down on in these uh, recruitment processes, for example? Uh, two things. It is, especially now, um, it is absolutely mandatory for anyone to have a work from home policy. Now, whether that's one that you're uh, one that you're trialing or something that you're still figuring out, that's fine. There isn't a single person I know, whether that's a director or a manager or a senior executive, that doesn't want some option for working from home, right? So, if you are if you're looking to hire senior level talent and you think, nope, it's going to be five days in the office and that's that and that's all there is to it, you're going to have a hard time finding. You're going to have a hard time attracting talent, right? Uh, it's just a sort of a, a hardcore reality of it. I think the other thing that's uh, become a, a lot more prominent in the last couple of years, especially, especially in the circles that I work in, is knowledge of the issues around equity, diversity, and inclusion. And what that means for the my client organizations is um, if you think that equity, diversity, inclusion is just about representation, that, you know, we just need more more people of color in here and we're fine – that's not going to work. Um, we have candidates that are asking, what is their equity, diversity, and inclusion policy? What, are they, what do they do around these specifics in EDI? If you don't have um, a robust program, if you don't have a really good answer to that, if I can't provide a really good answer to that on behalf of my employers, people are not interested. Uh, and I think generally, Sean, that's, that's kind of one of the things I've seen, especially over the course of the last two years, is that people are taking this idea of meaningful work really seriously maybe more seriously than they ever have. It's not, it's not the paycheck that's working anymore, right? Um, people want options. They want a better work-life balance. They've had, in a weird sort of way, COVID has provided that. They've, they've had a taste of it. Um, and they don't want to spend their entire lives working for thankless corporations that are going to grind them into the ground that don't give any, any concern or any thought to their own well-being or to what's important to them. And they're starting to, they're starting to make that voice heard. And if there are companies out there that think EDI is just a matter of representation, that they don't need to do anything more you know, more people of X particular ethnicity in here. You've got work to do. You've got homework to do. And that's going to affect your ability to attract talent. Yeah, I think that that's a fundamental shift in the last, you know, probably more than just the last few years, but definitely in the last few years. Um, absolutely critical that companies are understanding that that's not just like a fill the spot metric. Like it, it, it's a fundamental to how the companies run, how the management system works and, and how compensation and everything is tied in with that. Um, what other things have you noticed in specifically to the pandemic, how the hiring process has changed? And, you know, we hear a lot about how hiring is completely different now. You have to hire super fast. You know, the candidates are, are not even listening if you don't. You know, what are some of the, the kind of tips that you give your clients when it comes there to that? Is, uh, there's definitely a change in the pace of hiring. Um, and that kind of, it also sort of depends on the role, if you will. Right now I'm doing some work for Vancouver Island University looking for a director of diversity, equity, and human, uh, human rights. And when we started the search, I told them, look, these people are in enormous demand. Um, if we have, you know, three, five, however many people that are viable, I cannot wait for four or five weeks for you to organize a meeting. So we need to be able to, if I say to you on a Thursday, we need a meeting next week, Tuesday, we need a meeting next week, Tuesday, because if we wait that long, they're not going to be available. Um, so that's one of the things I'm advising, uh, advising clients generally is that we need to be a lot more nimble uh, when it comes to just the timing uh, of these processes generally. And I think the other thing that, that we advise clients, and this is a bit of a double sword in that um, in a tight market, don't expect to see 
20 or 25 people that are perfectly on spec because by the time we collect that many of them we'll have by the time we collect this group we'll have lost this group and it'll be this constant circulation of candidates as we as we move through the process there has to be uh, sort of a willingness to to um, to to ex to accept the people that we're putting forward uh, and to make a decision on that with that said you know, of course, clients have to be very comfortable with what we're putting forward. Um, I completed a search recently for the Canadian Mortgage Brokers Association, where we found um, uh, what I thought was an absolutely perfect candidate. And I knew that she was interviewing with other people. So I went to my client and I said, look, we've got one. We have two that are comparable. I would like to bring these these people forward because I think they're worth your time. And I'm worried that if we don't take a look at them, uh, they're going to be gone by the time we get to, you know, the, the, the full slate that we wanted. Uh, they agreed. They interviewed this person. That person started in the role in mid-January. If they had waited until mid-January for the first interviews, she would not have been there. So the speed of the, speed of the search yeah. process has certainly changed. What's changed on the other side, though, is uh, the candidates themselves. There is a lot of tire kicking going on around there. There's been more than one. Uh, we, we're dealing with it fairly constantly where we've got people engaged. Yes, I'm interested. By all means, sign me up. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. They get to the interview and like, ah, you know what? It changed my mind. Or they just don't show up on the day of the interview or they ghost us completely, which is unbelievably unprofessional. But there's just a lot of people that are sort of thinking, well, with so much churn in the marketplace, I wonder what else is out there. And I don't know whether they're not serious about taking these things on, whether it might be for the right role. Um, but it's unusual. I've not I've not seen it in quite this flavor uh, before. Right. I mean, I, candidate markets have, have moved all the time, of course, but this is different. This is different. Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever heard the people just ghosting on a senior well, executive role. That seems pretty you know, extreme I mean, senior exec for the work we do is everything from a director right up through to a CEO, right? So, you know, okay. I, no, I mean, if we're dealing with someone who's a VP or going into a uh, C-suite role, that's not likely. But we have had a couple of instances where the person shows up in um, one instance in particular, I'm thinking of, um, this was uh, one of my partners in, in the States, actually, that was working on this one. In the halfway through the interview, the guy changed his mind. He said, you know, I'm changed my mind. I don't want to do this. And, and just left. It was a video interview, just disconnected, and that was that. Hmm. So, uh, again, unusual, um, but to your point, I don't know that we ever would have seen that five years ago. Um, yeah, exactly. One thing that you said that I've heard from other guests that I've had on the show, uh, you said finding people that perfectly fit the spec. And there's a lot of talk right now in the space, in the hiring space, leadership space in general, about hiring for potential skill set rather than hiring exclusively for experience. How do you approach that? How do you judge someone's ability to potentially learn something? That's a really good question. Um, and it's funny, this, this idea of hiring for potential really ties in very nicely to the principles of EDI, right? Um, we've heard from clients before, uh, you know, we'd really like a diversity candidate, but we want the best candidate. Okay, so what do you mean by the best candidate? Uh, is the best the most experienced? Because that may not necessarily be a diversity, uh, an equity deserving candidate that we, we might bring to you. But if your minimum bar is five years of experience in a certain role, and I bring you someone who's five years of experience or six years of experience and someone who's eight or nine years of experience and one happens to be the equity deserving candidate, how you define best as a corporation really says a lot about you, right? Because if you are serious about EDI, if I'm going to use that as an example, you would go with a diversity deserving candidate or sorry, the equity deserving candidate and grow that person in the role, understanding that no, they don't have the nine years of experience, but they met your bar. 
why not? One of the things that we encourage candidates is to consider that a lot of these equity diversity candidates may not have had an opportunity to build their portfolio in the same way that someone like me might have, um, because they may have been denied a whole bunch of opportunities that, that I have taken for granted. So if you're serious about that, Put your money where your mouth is, right, um, as it were. With respect to hiring for potential, it, that's when you start looking at things like um, uh, that was, this especially comes out in referencing, uh, you know, how, how quickly does this person pick up on things, right? Just even taking a look at their track record um, or the stories that they might tell during the course of, a, of an interview. Well, you know, I was thrown into this situation. I didn't have a clue how to put a conference together, but between that and some consultation with some friends of mine, we put this together and this was the end result. Okay, so that shows obviously someone's ability and potential to to uh, to take on uh, certain tasks or certain roles and responsibilities that might be outside of their purview, but if they've shown a track record of it in, the, in their resume, then that's a pretty good indication as that's the kind of person that you that, that you should be looking for or that you should be um, considering to bringing on. Right, referencing is a great way to do that as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I think between those those two things, that's a really good indicator that you've got someone who's got the potential to grow. Right, um, and. Uh, You've also got a pretty good sense as to whether these people are self-starters or not. People who are self-starters are the ones that have the potential to take on more and have the potential to, to learn. Okay, so you were in a director role for eight years or 12 years or 16 years or whatever, and now you want to move into a VP role? Where was this where was this desire eight years ago when it would have made more sense? You've spent a lot of time in one role not doing anything. Conversely, you know, five years as a director, I took on this role and this role and this role, and I got this certification training, and I did this because I wanted to advance. That shows a certain level of, of, of um, stick-to-itness, a certain level of grit. Those are the kinds of things that you look for when you're looking to hire for potential. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think to your first example where the one person has eight years, one person has five years, the world's changed a lot in the last five years. So those first three years that that person has over the other one might not be as relevant as they necessarily uh, mm -hmm. would have been in the past. So I think that's absolutely a great way to look at it. Moving on to a little, I always twerk towards the end of these interviews, I have kind of some sure. bigger topic questions. Um, this one is for you personally. What's what's your goal for your career? Like, what does success look like? You know, I knew you, you were going to ask me this, and I've been I've been chewing on it for some time. Um, for me, honestly, success means doing good work, right? Um, doing good work and being able to keep the lights on at home. I mean, I know that doesn't sound like, you know, terribly ambitious. I don't want to buy a yacht. I don't want to buy a, a private plane. I'm not in it for, you know, I don't, I don't do what I do for the love of the glamour, the fame of the money. Um, I do what I do because I love what I do. And as long as I can keep doing that, as long as I can keep adding value to my clients um, and helping them in, in what they need to do, and as long as I have enough work to keep me busy and my team busy, that's enough for me. Um, you know, yes, of course, at some point I expect that I'll become, you know, perhaps a partner here. Who knows? I might open up a, uh, an office in another part of the country if circumstance takes me in that direction. But um, I'm, when you're really happy with what you do uh, and I'm not sure what the next step looks like necessarily, but honestly, Sean, if I were to stay here in this level position for the remainder of my working career, I'd be fine with that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying what I do. I'm having the time of my life in this role. I really, really am. That's fantastic. I love, I love talking to people that are in that, my, that headspace. You know, they have ideas of what the future could look like, but they're just so passionate about what they do that yeah. they're, they're okay either way. So that's really neat. So the last two questions are always the same. The first one is if you could pick one thing for the listener or viewer to walk away from that we've talked about, what would it be that for we've you? talked about? That's a good one. Um, that we've talked about. There are always these bigger 
tides in everyone's life that come along and impact you in ways that you didn't know. I mean, the most obvious example of that is COVID. Like, we had no idea this was coming at us three years ago. And two years ago, we were all dealing with it in a very immediate and very uh, in a very emergent way, right? Two years into it, we're still dealing with it, but it's taken on a different flavor, thankfully. Uh, we're, you know, we're further into this now. But no one ever saw that coming. And this was this um, this outside influence that impacted uh, that impacted absolutely everybody. Um, uh, you know, on a more personal level, uh, here one of our employees is from Ukraine. This situation that's bubbled up on the other side of the world is having a very, very real impact on someone that we care about, one of our coworkers. And I guess, uh, you know, to to tie it back to the EDI issues, um, you know, we've been talking about this in my circles for years. It's starting to become more and more prevalent in in private private uh, sector circles. Um, it's it's a topic of conversation everywhere. These larger uh, societal twists and turns these larger um these larger conversations impact us in ways that we don't really appreciate and i guess the advice i would have to everyone out there is to pay attention pay attention to what's going on on out there understand that 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 conflict that civil conflict happening in the other part of the world may not have any bearing on you but it might be deeply resonating with someone that you're working right beside and you might not even know it. Um, pay attention to what's going on in the larger conversations around social justice and equity because these things are important. They're, they have an immediate impact on not just your ability to hire, but the people you work alongside. They've changed the conversation. If you're ignorant to all of that, that's exactly it. You sound ignorant and you come off ignorant to all of that. Um, it's to pay attention. I guess that would be it. That's fantastic. That's a really good advice. Uh, the last question sure. I have is a personal interest question for me. I read and collect a lot of books. Uh, so if you were to recommend a book right now, personal or professional. Uh, uh, continuing on the theme of EDI, there's a book called So You Want to Talk About Race. And you'll have to forgive me. I do not remember the name of the author. I should. I, I remembered it yesterday. It's not coming to me now. Uh, she's uh, she's a writer out of Seattle, uh, and it's a very candid, very um, very unapologetic discussion on what it means to discuss race. Uh, nowadays, uh, it opened up my eyes a lot to issues around uh, race and equity um, in North America. The, the other book I would recommend as well, um, if, I, if I'm allowed to sneak in a second one, is called Indigenous Rights. And rights is spelled W-R-I-T-E-S by someone vowel. I can't remember her first name. Again, my memory. Um, indigenous rights, and especially now with indigenous issues having come to the forefront in Canada the way it has, this is an excellent primer. If you know nothing about the um, the state of our engagement with the indigenous peoples of these lands in um, at all, this is a great place to start because it'll really, really open up your eyes as to what the reality is for these people um, and how we've historically treated them and give you some kind of appreciation, I think, for, for how far we have to go to... to to make things right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alex. Uh, for everyone listening and watching, I'll put links down below to Alex's company as well as his social media and LinkedIn. Uh, post some really interesting, not only positions, but also articles and such. Thanks so much. A pleasure to speak with you. Take care. You as well. All right. Thanks for listening to On Air with Sean McStay. If you have any questions for the guests, contact me on social media or reach out on my website, www.onairwithseanmcstay.com. Have a great rest of your day.